This is Kelly Carlin, and welcome to Waking from the American Dream. Hello, everyone. Welcome, welcome, welcome. I am sitting, looking out at my beautiful French doors. I'm sitting on my bed today doing this podcast, which is quite the luxury. Sitting out, looking at my deck doors. It is a beautiful, beautiful day uh, here in Southern California. It is Thursday, March 14th when I'm recording this. And uh, spring is fucking springing here. Uh, My uh, wisteria little flowers, I swear to God, I go outside, I look at them, they're one inch long, I go inside, I have lunch, I come back out, and they are already two inches long. It kind of freaks me out how fast the wisteria grows. And my jasmine is blooming. And LA this week, the last two days, has had this butterfly thing happening where there's like a billion of these painted lady butterflies flying through the city uh, on their way, migrating from south to north, uh, doing what they do. Uh, But it's kind of a little bit like a fairyland. It's kind of cool. They're like on the freeways. They're in everyone's backyards. They're just traveling through. Uh, city or no city, they're going to, by hell or high water, get to Northern California and Oregon to do their thing. So it's it's lovely. Spring is here. And of course, I put on the Weather Channel, and uh, I don't think spring is really anywhere else. Uh, there's this huge storm that just hit Denver with a blizzard, and now there's tornadoes in Kentucky today. It's It's kind of crazy. So I hope everyone made it through all of that safe and sound. And uh, whenever you're listening to this, which I think is probably two weeks after I record this, because I've got a couple in the bank, um, but I hope you're all safe and sound, and I hope spring has sprung wherever you are by now. I'm excited about this show today because we are going to focus a bit on the creative process. Uh, My guest today is a friend of mine, a colleague, a peer who I met through the solo show, spoken word uh, world here in Los Angeles. Uh, He's always a person when I see him, uh, knowing that he's going to be either on the show I'm doing or in a show, I always look forward to seeing this person because he's just a big ball of light. And I'm excited today because I get to support him because he has a big thing going on, which is his book has come out this week. And his book is fantastic. And the full title of this book is Working Actor, Breaking In, Making a Living, and Making a Life in the Fabulous Trenches of Show Business. My guest today is David Dean Batrell. And David has been a professional actor and writer for over 35 years Known for his quirky characterizations, he's played a great many guest role, uh, guest star and recurring roles on TV shows that you know and love and watch, like Modern Family, NCIS, he was on Mad Men, Justified, True Blood, Longmire, where he played a crazy guy, which was fun to watch, a uh, bunch of other ones, Boston Legal. He also has many theater credits. He co-wrote an off-Broadway play, Dearly Departed as well as the hit film adaptation, Kingdom Come. He's written screenplays for many major studios, and he's taught camera acting for the UCLA Professional School, Temple University, and the Academy American Academy of Dramatic Arts, both in New York and LA campuses. 
In addition to that, he, as I said, is an accomplished spoken word artist and occasionally writes professional advice columns for Backstage.com. He's originally from Kentucky, so he may be worried about people today in tornadoes, uh, but he currently divides his time between New York and Los Angeles because, well, that's where it's at. Uh, Welcome, David. Welcome, indeed. Thank you, Kelly. I feel very welcome. Um, I feel like I should tell everybody now, since you told everybody where you are, I feel that I should tell everybody where I am. Yes. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm also in Los Angeles today. I'm standing uh, on uh, Kelly's Terrace just outside the French doors, which are closed, <laughs> looking into her bedroom. Uh, and speaking, she doesn't want me to come in. I don't know why. Uh, but we're speaking via cell phone. <laughs> she looks great. <laughs> she has a beautiful dressing gown on and her hair and makeup is done. Well, yes, well, fabulous for your podcast. <laughs> How are you? I'm, I'm fantastic. I am absolutely fantastic. Uh, when did the book drop? The book came out on the, the 19th of February. So I guess we're like maybe three weeks into it or something now. Yes. And, uh, yeah, I mean, it's, this is my first time at the rodeo. I mean, you you have already been through this, you know, magical mystery tour. Um, so it, it's, you know, it's kind of a, when you're doing it, it, especially if you're doing like the promotional part, you're doing a lot of events. Uh, so I've been, I've been in like an event, like an afternoon thing and an evening thing pretty much every day since I got to LA. So I'm <laughs> a little exhausted, but it's been fun. It's It's been fun. Yeah, yeah. It's that thing where it's like... Um, such a pleasure to be wanted and to be in an event and you know it's important because you know the the window for books are so short and you have to put it all in but after Mm -hmm. a while it's like you can't remember Mm -hmm. what you said did I say that yesterday right Right. (laughs) did I I tell this clever charming anecdote today (laughs) yes and the other thing is I kind of you know when you're signing books I, I start to forget how to write after a while, like, because it's like cursive. You're like writing with an actual pen, which is kind of, you know, ancient history now. And also when you're trying to write whatever you're writing and then people are talking to you while you're writing, it's yes. like, I, it's, just, it's, I just get, I just short circuit. Like I'm like, just be quiet. I'm trying to sign your, I'm trying to find my name. <laughs> oh my God, that's so true, David. I never thought about that, but it is right because it's two different parts of your brain, the listening part, <laughs> creating words through a pen. And you're right. I think my signature always looks horrible when people are talking to me because I don't, I can't remember how to sign my signature at that moment. Oh my God. Right. And the other thing that was a big eye opener, which is not a, a book tour thing, but I'm assuming you also did an audio book, right? Yes, I did. Yeah. I, I did as well. And I had never had that experience. And it was, it was one of the hardest things I've ever done because I don't know about you, but I was like, it's like spending three days, like in a glass closet uh, for openers. And then you had to sort of, you had to keep talking, you just like keep talking, keep talking, keep reading. And then if you, if you miss anything, they stop you and you have to start over. And then at a certain point, like as the hours roll by, my brain would forget how to read. Like I couldn't read anymore. <laughs> yeah. I was very lucky. I, uh, the producer who produced my book, audiobook, uh, 
he's like the guy who handles like all the A-list rock starry kind of people. So we got to yeah. at the Village Studio here in LA. Uh-huh. Is where you name the rock band. They have recorded their album there since starting in sure. the 70s. So I got to sit in a booth that had become famous because it was the place where a young Italian-American woman had entered it and she had walked out as Lady Gaga. Wow. Yeah, so that was the booth I was in. And they told me that from the beginning. And I was like, okay, I am just channeling my Lady Gaga here. (laughs) Uh, And I had a great time. And every day we'd come and the owner of the place would regale us with some amazing cocaine-fueled tale about <laughs> Nick or, you know, Steely Dan or something. I mean, it was really, it was, I had like a rock star experience. I loved it. But yeah. That is awesome. Yeah, that but, is great. I recorded mine in New York where it's always, you know, everything is always a little grittier there. Yeah, a little um, grittier. So it was like a converted closet or something I was recording in. A very nice closet. It was lovely. Um, thank you, <laughs> awesome. Random House. Um, but you know, space considerations, but my director also regaled me cause he's been in it forever directing these uh, audio books. And he was sort of telling all the stories about, you know, Oh, how, you know, this Meryl Streep was so lovely. And you know, this other person was an asshole and it was really, it was fun. It was actually yeah, really fun. It was, I, I felt like a rock star for three days. So I, I enjoyed it and I just channeled my best spoken word self. So I had, I had, <laughs> like, all right, I know how to read my material, even though this is, I've written it for the page, which was different, David. I want to say it's different because it, mine was memoir. So I was used to writing and we use a lot of years book is memoir too, but um, I was so used to writing for the stage, which is a different kind of writing. And my editor yeah. in Martin's press really had to teach me how to write for the page. And then, yeah, Reading it from the page is very awkward when you're used to reading it from something that is written for the stage. And so I'd have to calibrate in the middle of things like, oh, I'm not on a stage doing a performance. And that is not worded in a way that lends itself to being seen and heard. I have to just be heard now. So it was a very interesting exercise in that. Absolutely. And I, I just, I at a certain point got very frustrated with myself. Like when I was reading it, I was thinking, oh my God, this is, you're talking too much. This is like too long. Why the fuck wrote this? You know, <laughs> we should have cut some of this shit. This is too much. Uh, but it's not too much if it's a book, but it sort of felt that way when you were saying it out loud. Because there is this, there's this obligation when you're performing to kind of keep people engaged and you don't want to bore them to tears. Right. Uh, so, yeah, and also part of it is, as you know, is it's it's your personality as well when you're up there. You know, they're they're what they're seeing the actual person who created this story or this tale, and and you're part of that, and they get to watch you sort of sweat through it, which is pretty fun. Yep, yep, yeah, it is. It's a very different animal for sure. So I was so curious about what what <clears throat> propelled you to want to put this all down on paper and just so people know this book is part memoir uh, but it's really a how-to book it's a really instructional it's extremely practical and yet your personality a hundred percent comes through um, it's very approachable it's not dry at all it's totally entertaining uh, you know you're a great writer 
And so it's just, it's a joy to read no matter where it is. And then there's like lists of things at the end of each chapter, which I just find is so brilliant. You like engage people's brain in like four different directions. So they really get everything. Um, So, but I just so curious about how did this come about? Was this your doing? Did someone approach you? And, and what were you hoping to, um, you know, what were you hoping to accomplish by putting this all down on paper finally? Well, you know, this, this happened in the way that most big things happen in my life in that somebody pissed me off. That's how I began. (laughs) Awesome. And, um, I did this show, which I, I'm, I I think you saw actually when I was in LA called David Dean Botrell makes love a one man show. Yep. And it was all these true love stories out of my life. Uh, most of which were pretty funny and it had this, it just, it just kind of found, it caught a wave in Los Angeles and it became kind of a underground hit. And, um, the Los Angeles times came to review it and they gave it a really lovely review, which was really sweet. But when they were introducing me to their readers, um, they did, there was this thing where they said, David Dean Petrell, and then in parenthesis behind my name, it said an LA based, uh, actor, writer, comedian, perched on the edge of success. <laughs> oh, wow. And even though the rest of the review was very good, that, that pissed me off so much. I like, because I've been in the entertainment business since I was like in my early twenties. And since pretty much my late twenties on, I had worked exclusively in the entertainment industry. I've made my living in it. And I thought, and I'm, I'm perched on the edge of success. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> It just made me. I I just it made me think a little bit about what the definition of success is if you're if you're any kind of an artist, you know. Mm-hmm. And I I, just, I don't know. I just kind of like the more I thought about it, I thought there's this endless obsession with the idea that you're not successful unless you are famous. Yeah. Unless you are like you know above the title and you're a big money maker for big studios or something that you, that's that's success. That's what that looks like. And so it, it just made me think about that and how, how much I don't care for that. And I, I've been teaching also, like you have in the last few years, and I've loved it. I've truly loved it. And I didn't even think I would, but to work with young people a little bit outside of that you know, craziness that show business does, just to kind of focus on the artistry of what we do and what, what really matters about it. And it's been fantastic. And when I see them start to graduate, and then they start getting very nervous because they're leaving sort of the safety of this classroom situation and going out into this, you know, very, very strange business. Yeah. Um, they're very confused and I understand why. And uh, they will always kind of come to me and say, gee, how do I do this? <clears throat> and they're always so, you know, disappointed in my answer <laughs> because when, when they say, you know, how, how, you know how, how do I start doing this? My answer is you just start. That's all I can tell you. You just begin and then you one thing leads to another and you just pay attention to what's happening and then start to steer your boat based on whatever the hell is happening. And uh, and I went out and I, I started looking at some of the books that were available for people um, to sort of start their career in show business. And I, I purchased a couple of them just to kind of read them and see what it was like. And uh, I certainly won't say what it were. But I wasn't able to finish any of them mm. because 
they were not any fun to read. (laughs) They were, they just weren't enjoyable. Nothing about this that it it didn't really, I mean, there are a lot of sort of facts and figures that pretty much anybody can say that everybody knows about business, even their show business. But if you're, even if you're not in it, you know, it's tough, you know, but they would just, I don't know, just was, it was very kind of flat and like, and, and daunting in a way as they were presenting it. And I thought, who, what are your qualifications to write this book? You know, like exactly, like who are you exactly that you're advising these people? And I thought, you know what? I've been around a long time and I have certainly done some mentoring. And when I mentor, I'm telling them some kind of a story <clears throat> because it's the only way I know to kind of humanize it yep. and say, you know, unlike other people, like if you're in the plumbing business, it's pretty cut and dry. <laughs> like that's pretty, that's pretty clear what you're going to be doing. And when you're any kind of an artist, like you are like literally the clay out of which this whole thing is going to be created. Like your personality, your life experience, your decisions, all of that is going to shape you and whatever you're going to make in your life. And, and so when I thought about how to maybe try to write this book, I thought the only thing I know is to tell you my experience either what I, what I lived through or what I, you know, experienced or, or what I witnessed firsthand. Mm-hmm. And to try to sort of say, try to create a little roadmap of sorts about the shape of this, like what, what it's going to look like and how you're going to fill in all these blanks. But here's the basic puzzle that you're going to need to solve if you want to go from being this, you know, wonderfully free, inventive, creative artist to someone who can also make a living being paid for that artistry. And so that was kind of the genesis of it there. Um, but again, like, like I said, it began with somebody pissing me off. Yeah, I, I love that. I love that it's those moments when, <clears throat> I don't know what it is. It's, it's something about that. Well, for you, it was someone defining you in a way that, didn't feel true to you. And God, I mean, that's such a common experience in this town and New York too. Mm-hmm. But I mean, mm-hmm. I mean, it's just seems like for me, my encounter with showbiz was, you know, so strange because of my dad, first of all, but sure. But, um, so that it was like, it was, it was through a, a filter that didn't help. But at the same time, I had all the insecurities and all the confusion and all the questions <laughs> that you certainly um, deal with in the book. And, and yet, because I came from a showbiz family, I didn't think I was allowed to have any of those doubts or confusions or questions. Oh, wow. Yeah. Wow. And wow. on top of that, my personality being an only child and coming through from my life experience was I always had to pretend like I had my shit together so that, um, I mean, that's how I survived. I just pretended, yeah, I know what's going on. I'm not in chaos. I'm not in fear. Uh, yeah. I'm confusion. You know, look at me. I'm fine. I'm fine. And that was my BS persona that I created to survive. And so coming into the business for me with that persona, but this huge, insecure, confused young girl inside of me, uh, I ended up walking away after two years because I couldn't handle yeah. any of it. Um, 
and and it was just so terrifying. And really, it wasn't the la- It wasn't until I mean, and I dabbled in a lot of behind the scenes stuff, which was easier than being an actor on camera because I wasn't ready for that at all, um, psychologically, really, or emotional. My my emotional maturity wasn't ready for it, but. Um, yeah. But it's really interesting, and I'd love to get your take on this, David, because something recent happened to me about my relationship with my creativity. I had an enormous aha, and it happened a few months ago, and I talked about it on this podcast in a couple different places, but I somehow woke up one day, I can't remember what triggered this, um, but I had this realization that I had always coupled my urge to create and the, and my relationship with imagination and my relationship with expression, I'd always hitched it to how is it going to potentially further my career in the entertainment industry? (laughs) And it had, yeah. And it had basically because of that. And I think I did that from day one, like age 15, basically um, when, you know, you start to think about what you want to be in the world. Um, and I started watching Saturday Night Live and was, you know, wanted to be that really. Um, yep. And here I am now at age 55 and I've just now finally begun to uncouple that. And um, I have bought myself some paints. I want to start painting. Um, I picked up my camera again. I've started taking pictures again. And it's all just for me right now. Yeah. Yeah. And, and and I've never had that. And, and so I really want to know for you, because you do work in this industry and it is a complete collaborative art form. How do you keep that artist for you alive while having to butt up against all the hoops and all the ways in which you don't get to do your job really, unless someone gives it to you. Yeah. Yeah. Um, no, um, it's, it's, I was just, for some reason, this, what you just said brought this story to mind, which I hope is not tangential because I think for some reason that this story just came up for me. But when I first came to Los Angeles, um, I came with the intent of writing like in the movie business. I had been an actor in New York, but I'd had a little success as a writer there. And now I was being imported to, um, LA and, all of my sensibilities, like all of my ideas were very uh, kind of wildly crazy out there. Kind of my ideas for movies and stuff were all these kind of, you know, wacky independent sort of ideas, but that was not the world I was entering. I was entering the studio system. Mm. And so, and I, I was lucky enough that I scored one of those really big agencies with three letters in their name that had an entire building. Yes, and I think I'm I, familiar with them. Yes, I bet you are. And when I would go in to tell them my ideas, they would just, you know, say, no, 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 no one's ever going to buy that. You know, you got to, you're selling into this marketplace. You got to know what you do. And I, uh, I went out, how I solved this was I went out to Blockbuster for those of us who are old enough to remember Blockbuster. And I walked up and down the aisles of Blockbuster looking at movies looking at just the titles of these movies. And I kept thinking, oh, I like that movie. And I would uh, pull that movie off the shelf 
and I would, I would write it down. I'd write down on a little piece of paper I was carrying around. And then I, I just keep looking for the movies that I liked, that I'd enjoyed, that had been produced by studios. Mm. And then I would go home and I'd sit at my uh, computer and I would think, okay, what, what movies, like what can, what's my version of that movie? Right. What's my take on it? Because I think that kind of the secret to it, honestly, is you do have to have something that is free, that's free and can grow in any way it wants to grow. And then you have to look at what the actual like marketplace will buy. And somewhere in there, you get to find a product that kind of looks like the stuff that they are that they're selling, yep. but is also something you can stomach doing. Right. And I always like when I, uh, I, I actually just moved out of LA about two and a half years, two years ago, maybe two and a half years ago now. And, uh, and there were reasons for that, which maybe we'll talk about later, but, but, uh, uh, the, what was the point of that story? Oh my God, I've had a brain fart. What were we just talking about? <laughs> the point of it was the difference between doing art oh, for yourself right. Got it. versus yeah, having to fit into the system in some way. I'm back on, I'm back on the beam. Uh, when I was in LA, in between those projects or in between my uh, acting career, which in LA was primarily playing murderers on TV shows. <laughs> yes. and, and so I just killed and killed and killed all over network TV for years. And I always appreciated that. And it was great. And it was, it was fun. But in between those things, I always was creating something that kept me entertained as an artist or kept me engaged as an artist that I didn't feel like I had that, you know, there were things that I, I knew that no agent or casting director or studio executive would ever leave their office to come see. They would never come and see this. Right. This was for the other people in my community that would come and appreciate it and laugh and enjoy it or be challenged by it or whatever. And uh, that, and I, I've always been pretty good about kind of taking care of that part of me. But I do understand what you just said, because when you were saying the part about that, you know, oh, I should do this because it will further me. Yeah. Um, I can't tell you the number of times I have made that mistake and then, <clears throat> and then uh, wound up in a project or a job that I hated um, and, and that always lasted longer than I wanted it to last. And, um, and made me and really derailed me actually derailed my career and de certainly derailed my confidence in myself. Um, and you know, in the movie business, mostly I did my own stuff that I pitched um, or I did adaptations of novels or whatever. But you know, once I was talked into writing this comedy that I didn't even think was funny <laughs> and, and it wasn't my story. It was somebody else's story. And it, it, everybody was like, Oh, this is a slam dunk. They will buy this. It, and they were, and they did buy it. And then it was a miserable experience. And it went on for like, you know, 18 months of endless, endless misery uh, with a, group, a huge group of people who were also miserable. <laughs> and, was, and I thought, you know, and, and I shouldn't have done it. Like, you know, I, I, I'm sure I could have gotten another job had I just waited. But everybody was like telling me it was a good idea when I, I knew it wasn't. But yeah. from a business standpoint, they were like, oh, this is a fast sale. And they were right. It was a fast sale and I was paid for it, but I also paid for it with my life, you know, and with my happiness. Mm. So it's taking care of yourself, whatever that means, you know, depending on the person, 
Yeah. Especially, I said, it's not like, this is not like a job that you just show up at every day. You know, it's not, it's a, it's a job where you're everything. You're the staff, you're the, you're the administration, you're the product, you're, you're the warehouse, you're everything about your business. So it's not, it isn't really selfish to to take care of yourself. It's essential. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Yeah. Well, because this town doesn't know how to take care of humans. It's it's much more in saving money and doing everything. I mean, you know, about, you know, when was it like the mid eighties when the bean counters really took over this business and it became a very different feel to it. And yeah. um, And it, yeah, it just, you know, it's, it's always been a crazy business. Anything that has, you know, celebrity or fame mixed in with it, it's going to invite all sorts of weird psychological shit attached to it. But once the bean counters kind of took over this business, it did become that extra little bit soulless. And you do have to, yes. you have to understand that part of it. That's what I love about the book too, is you're, you're very upfront about it. It's like, look, this is your job. You know, this is what an audition is for. And, and your own experience right. and learning about like, oh, this is, you know, this is part of your job. It's not just being an actor and being to get to inhabit a character and, Sometimes you have to inhabit being a potato in a commercial and, you know, you don't always get to be, you know, do these great roles and and all of that. Um, But, but learning what your, what your job is. And really, I also love the clarity and the honesty around, I mean, because I knew in my twenties that I wasn't emotionally fit for it. I knew that I didn't want it enough. You know, I I remember the week acting David was, uh, the old calendar section of the LA Times used to be like a, a booklet, you know, like it would come and now it's just a little section. But uh, the Sunday Times would come and the and the cover of the Sunday Times that week I decided to walk away. It was like 50,000, you know, non-working actors in LA, you know, or people who get. Yep. And it was like, oh, that's very competitive. And if people really believe, like really, really want it and have a hunger for it and really feel it's their destiny, then those are the people that need to self-select into this business. Um, Yeah. You know, you've got a great quote here. You say, um, sane people don't enter this business. They wouldn't be happy here. They don't (laughs) understand. (laughs) (laughs) It's true. <laughs> it's true. Uh, yeah. Um, it, 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 you know, it's always been a, a tough business to, to make work, you know, uh, and, and you're right. It has become incredibly corporate and it, that just gets worse. Uh, I was just reading about Disney finalizing its deal to own Fox Ugh. and it, it just, it just gets worse and worse in terms of everything being squeezed. Um, and so now that there's such a, you know, despite the fact it's a highly profitable business, people are obsessed with entertainment. They always will be. They will always pay for entertainment. Yeah. Uh, despite that, and the bazillions of dollars that are being made, there is this effort to squeeze it and get and like try to make sure that everything that used to have, you know, 10 days to shoot can now do it in nine days. And, um, and somebody like me 
who used to be able to get a certain rate for my um, work uh, going onto a TV show. Um, now, like I would maybe I'd have maybe I'd have four scenes to shoot, and we would have a week to shoot it. Now they want to they want to schedule it so that all of my scenes can be shot on one day. Yeah. So I have to shoot four big heavy duty scenes in one day and be there all day from dawn until nightfall shooting them because that will allow them to um, squeeze my agency and me for less money because well he's only working one day. <laughs> right. I'm I'm doing a monumental thing in one day. One would think I would get paid more for that as opposed to let's let's squeeze him. Let's like let's put the pressure on him because God knows there's another actor who will do it. Do you want the job or not? And so it it's become really there there used to be a little smidgen of I guess what I would call respect <laughs> for the difficulty of the job, you know? And yep. That seems to have completely disappeared, and uh, now it's just well. If you're not tough enough to handle it, you know, go somewhere else. So that's kind of sad. Well, and and I think that's just a reflection also of this hyper capitalism that we live in in America. I mean, I think every single industry you would you could talk to, David, medical industry. Um, manufacturing, whatever it is, I bet every <laughs> single person feels that exact yeah. same squeeze in their job. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. It's, it's, so it's, it's, it's a tough chapter we're all living through. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, so uh, some of the other things I wanted to talk about, I there's this really interesting transition that you um, – discuss in the book about um you you do this really fantastic quick little timeline of your whole career <laughs> which, which starts with your hair being fabulous and you looking so <laughs> and it's just so yes. because you're so upfront about look sometimes you can be the right actor for things and they and, and when you were working for that casting director and then yeah. the actor walks out the door and they're just like he's too tall you know, right. and, and like you just, sometimes it's about fucking just slitting, sliding something into a slot and it's right. not, about the, it's not about the performance and other times it is and all of that. But so you do this beautiful, beautiful, I mean, it could be almost like a, you could almost turn that into a beat poem or something, David, which I think. <laughs> um, but I, because I work with right now, women who are in transition, I have this, this, thing that I do called women on the verge, go deep to take the leap. And it's really for women who are in some sort of transition in their life. They've reached either empty nesting or maybe it's a divorce, or maybe they're just fed up with their corporate career or um, maybe it's menopause. I mean, you know, whatever it is, or maybe a, a big sickness, a loss, something has happened and they want something to be different in their life. And yeah. I was reading your little your fabulous little synopsis here. And so you start at age 44 at being paid a ridiculous amount of money to work on a film script. That was a complete and total mess. And mm -hmm. got, you got a nice bit of money for it, but like many things in this town, it never got made. So you didn't actually get to birth it. And then right. a year later, <laughs> you're completely burned out need to get out of showbiz, you marry an attorney, move across the country to D.C., and enroll in a seminary and become yes. a chaplain. And then a year later, you're divorced back in L.A. 
reinvent yourself again and decide, well, all I really know how to do is fucking be in the entertainment industry. A half year later, you jump in, you do a personal project, a 15-minute movie on a small budget. You win a shitload of awards and yeah. your career was redirected. I would love to talk about that transition for you. And um, what, so tell me a little bit about like, you know, more in depth about what, what happened after the burnout and, and what were you seeking by leaving LA? What did you want that this business was no longer giving you? Mm, wow. <laughs> um, yeah, you know, I, I'm, I'm, I, I'm going to talk about all that. And what you made me think of was uh, when this, when we were sort of finishing, we we're going through the stages of this book. And uh, as I'm sure you did, you work with a couple of different editors, including a copy editor. Yep. And uh, the copy editor, I, I, I loved all the editors. And my, and my copy editor was, was really, I, I adored her. And she was, she said, you know, I relate to this book and I'm not in the entertainment industry. Um, she said, because I am a freelancer mm-hmm. and I will always be a freelancer uh, for the rest of my life. And I so related to what you're talking about in here. And and I thought, well, that's kind of cool because it makes me hope that maybe this book might be of use to other people who are not in the entertainment industry, but are facing the new kind of gig economy. Um, yes. Because the one thing that artists are, have always been very good at is just sailing into this this total sea of uncertainty regarding your employment yeah. and uh, and learning how to adjust and adapt to whatever the, the the market is buying at the moment and it's it's both on the one hand that's a little terrifying and and, and sometimes you can go through stretches where it does not go well um, but the beauty of it also is you can also you know be a little out of the loop for a while, and then if you have a good idea and you execute it well, um, if you are skilled and you've kept it together and you're interested and you are you're bringing your offering to to the the industry as opposed to sort of demanding some kind of <laughs> you know revenge or retribution or something, something when you're coming at it from a a, a true love of it, um, they'll let you back in. Yeah. No matter how long you've been gone, they will let you back in. If you've got something good or fun or scary or wonderful that you want to offer to them uh, and, and you hang in there long enough to get their attention, they will let you back in. So that part is kind of, I always have appreciated that mm-hmm. about the industry. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> but it's also, it can be a little rugged on you and uh, you gotta, you got to remember and this is one thing that I talk a lot about in the book uh, is you really have to remember that it is a business yeah. and um, that's tough when you're an artist. That's a rough thing to keep your, keep that definition between you and that uh, nice and clear uh, all the way through. And, uh, and the other thing that I really try to hit pretty hard in this book is the absolute death of everything is comparison. Comparison will will it is the turd in the pet punch bowl. <laughs> I mean, it, David. Yep. It, it will take all the joy out of everything. It'll it, it will, your it, soul every day. It will. I mean it will. It it takes all the it takes all the fun out of it. It stops any kind of creative process that you're experiencing. 
uh, it it will attack you personally on a really deep level about your self worth. Like e- everything about that is just the worst, and it's too bad because show business, and I'm, I guess most businesses, but show business in particular, will really, really um, go out of its way to kind of shove that sort of comparison in your face all the fucking time. Well, and so, now, and now with social media, I mean, it's just. I mean, now, yes. now everyone's in the comparison game because it's all day fucking long, you know, living <clears> right. fucking life and all that shit, you know? So, right. yeah, yeah. Yeah. And the other thing that happened, and this is um, something that I talk about a little in the book because it's, the book is not just for people who are trying to break in. It's also for people who are trying to rejuvenate themselves or people who waited a long time and now they would like to take a shot at this. So it's, it's meant for everybody. Yeah. And, uh, and, 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 you know, people don't like to sort of, especially in Los Angeles, Jesus, you, you, it's almost considered rude to talk about age. <laughs> so, yeah. and, and, and age is a fact of life, like breathing. It's a fact. And so it changes us and it changes not only, you know, who we are physically, but it changes what matters to us yes. and what's important to us. And w- when you're an artist, that's going to be reflected in your work. How could it not be? <clears throat> also, like I said, you, you have to kind of, you can't let your um, self-worth be, in, you can't ever hand that over. I mean, you, you can't. You can't hand it over to, you know, the fact that you're, you've reached a certain point and so now you're deemed, you know, for myself, one of the reasons that I moved from um, L.A. to New York was I felt like it had just, at least from a business standpoint, it had utterly plateaued. Mm-hmm. That I had just got to reach a level where I could dependably know approximately how many acting jobs I was going to be doing. Um, and I was, they were all going to be sort of the same. You know, I'm, I'm yet again going to play the killer. And in the, at the end of the episode, I'm going to turn around and explain the entire crime to everyone. Right. As you do when you're accused of murder. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I just began to feel like um, the kind of work I was getting was going to be basically this. And that also I was older. And so agencies, you know, that represent people, they realize that when you reach a certain plateau and you're not famous, your earning potential starts to flatten out. Yep. So, of course, they're going to pay more attention to people who are 22 coming in the door because their earning potential at that moment is unmeasured. It could be enormous. So, it was just some of these, they were business realities. And I don't fault agencies for that. I completely understand it. They're just yeah. responding to the marketplace. Yeah, it's but, their business model. Exactly. So, but for my life, I, I kept thinking, I feel like I'm being forced into an early retirement somehow. And I don't really feel that way about myself as a human being. So where, where else is there and what else could I do? And I thought, I'm going to go try New York again. Um, I, can, I can, can do it. I mean, I was lucky because I, did, I don't have children. Um, at that time, I had no dog. I had no boyfriend. Why not? <laughs> <laughs> so I didn't, I didn't even own the house I was living in. So it's like, let's go. Yeah. <clears throat> so I did. And it turned into this or has turned into this really kind of fantastic thing. Uh, because I got to a new city and I started living in a new way. 
And um, as a result of that, I wrote this book. I would never have written this book in Los Angeles. It just wouldn't, I would not have been, Oh yeah. I don't know. It just, it wouldn't have happened, but in New York it did. And uh, it, it's been kind of, I don't know. You're probably the same way. Cause you, 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 I, I always love the fact that you kind of go out and embrace and keep searching and keep, you know, keep stretching the boundaries of your life, which is really an important thing to do. And I have been trying to do the same thing. And I say in the book, there comes a time when you gotta, you gotta do everything differently. You've got to kind of abandon what was because it's behind you now. And that means you need to make some changes. You may not make the change that I made. You may not actually geographically pull yourself up and go somewhere new, but you're probably going to have to make a sort of some kind of a change in your point of view or the way that you operate. Because without that, you're going to, it's going to, you're going to start to fall into a pattern and you're going to, one of two things that will happen, either you'll become a bitter old alcoholic or you'll be sitting there waiting for Godot. (laughs) So you got, you have to kind of like whatever the new reality is, you have to spin it into a positive in some way. And, and I have found, as I think you have too, that that can be so much better than you ever even imagined it to be. Um, to sort of say, the old chapter is done, here comes the new one, and to realize, wow, it's fun. It is a fun thing to face some kind of challenge in your life. It can be a fun thing. And who knows what you'll find, but you will, uh, one, I, I, in one of those chapters, I say, you know, you're about to take this journey and you're going to meet somebody really interesting along the way. And that person is you. Yeah. Yeah, well, absolutely. And, and I, you know, I think it really is, um, you know, you were talking about self care earlier and how important that is. And, you know, there really is this, uh, th- thing that's so evident throughout the book and throughout your journey too, David is, is your ability for self-awareness and your increasing ability for self-awareness. I mean, we all have only so much at an early age and, but it is that willingness to let the ego die over and over and over again and learn to really be unattached to the outcome and unattached. Like you said, you know, not comparison, you know, not comparing ourselves to other people and not keeping score and not taking it personally, learning how to not take the business part of it personally. And then learning, you know, with age, you know, it really is a humbling experience because everything is changing. Your place in the culture, your body's changing. Uh, Like you said, what matters to you. And so it's, it's an endless courageous act to, you know, to be as to, to, to keep a level of mental health in this business um, or, you know, or any freelance kind of thing or, or anything really, but this really, this yeah. thing about being willing to look at yourself and, and really know when things are over and being able to say goodbye to it and not yeah. onto it forever. Um, but I'm curious when you moved to DC and got married and went to the seminary. Um, did you really believe that you had walked away from the business after being in it for however many years, 20 some odd years at that point? I did. I actually did. I, it was not, uh, I, the initial idea was that I was going to keep, keep going a bit like, and I did for a little while. 
um, I was living in DC and I had had a pretty good run as a screenwriter. So I had a little money and I, I kept my place in LA and I would fly back every month and go on all these meetings for these write, writing jobs that I had zero interest in. Mm. <laughs> and I had just, <clears throat> um, I had been through having a bunch of projects that had been greenlit and were in pre-production. Like literally people were sitting in offices getting ready to make this movie and then because of some shift in the politics of the studio, yeah. those projects had been pulled. Yeah. And so nothing was real. It's, it, it felt like it was just endless illusion. And, you know, the, the screenwriting to me at that time felt like that my job was to come up with a really good idea and go in and sell it. And then for the next, we would spend the next 18 months taking that really good idea and ruining it. And then when we totally ruined it, <clears throat> when we had totally fucked it up, the place where nobody really even liked it anymore, we move on to a new idea. <laughs> and all of us were collecting a salary for that. Right. And, it's so and I just began to feel like, what the fuck am I doing with my life? You know? Yeah. What the fuck? What am I doing? And so that really led me to, and I was also married to somebody who was not in the business. And I, and I began to feel like I wanted something a little, I wanted to do some good in the world. And I, my father had been a minister. Um, and so I, I had seen that kind of modeled by him a little bit in his life. Not, not that I really agreed with his, his way of doing it, but I, I did like the idea of it. I had been raised with it. And so that was the beginning of that process. And I'd always, I've always had, you know, oddball spiritual beliefs because I came from a deeply religious household. It was really, it was just, oh my, anytime I meet anyone who also grew up in a deeply religious household, I immediately want to embrace them and say, it's okay, it's over, it's okay. Yes. <laughs> yeah. You don't live there anymore, it's okay. Yeah. <laughs> but, but it does leave certain things imprinted upon you that you will never get rid of. And, um, and some of them actually are not bad. They're really not bad. And one of them is at least awareness of other people and yeah. awareness and compassion for people's mistakes and for things that happen that are outside of their control and all that. And so I was drawn to that idea and it was the beginning of that journey. And then I had a, I just had this terrible, you know, my, my husband um, had been, um, well, I think I can say this. He'd been, he had been struggling with his sobriety and he lost his sobriety in a big way. Wow. And uh, it caused the marriage to end. Mm -hmm. um, and um, so, and then by that time I was broke and came back to LA, like devastated on literally every level a person can be devastated on <laughs> and, um, and was struck at that moment by the generosity of my fellow artists who stepped in and quite literally paid my bills mm -hmm. until I got on my feet, um, which I did as quickly as I could. But they, they, they took care of me until I was up and running again. And, and I discovered, oddly, Kelly, that I had not lost my talent. And, um, and I, when I was able to re-engage my talent, even coming out of this big, heavy, terrible thing, there's, a thing, there's something about creating something, and which I think is, you know, particularly with the work that you're doing right now with the people who are the women that are in your program, there's something about creating that is inherently healing. Yes. It heals. And so I, it, very quickly, my life kind of got back on track because the great thing about, about being an artist that I absolutely fucking love about it 
is whatever the hell happens to you, however many Mack trucks run you down in life, when you, when you stand up from that experience, you can take what you learn from that and you can make it into a piece of art. And if you do your job well, that art contains a little truth. You know, it, can, it contains a little truth out of your experience. And then when people encounter that piece of art, they see truth. They see the truth of their own lives. They see themselves in that piece of art. And that is fucking beautiful. I think that is in an art. So, sorry, I got on a little soapbox there. <laughs> no, no, I, I, I love that. I mean, I, I, I absolutely love that because, you know, really art is not this thing that is separate from us or elite or some sort of mysterious thing. It is merely human beings showing their humanity through different forms and mediums and just trying to figure out how to survive this human condition thing and hoping that there's that whatever they throw out there, that someone else will see themselves, their own selves in it, but also see the artist in it. And, you know, it's, it's a way for us to all look into each other's eyes and say, isn't this all insane, this thing we're doing called being human beings? Yeah. And, you know, and that's, <clears throat> and that's really all it is. It, it, you know, ultimately it's that. Yeah, it can, it can come out and, and manifest in amazingly weird things, everything from sci-fi to ballet. But, um, you know, it's all ultimately the same story we're telling, which is, wow, this is how I see it. This is what I'm feeling. And uh, do you see that and feel that too? Um, yeah. 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 And, and, and I think the, you know, I think the great service you do with this, with this book, David, is you let the people who are the, the crazy ones of us who join this family. I mean, I remember sitting outside uh, back uh, a couple of years ago with Paul Provenza and he was doing set list and we had just done a set mm -hmm. show and we're hanging out out in the alley and there's a bunch of comics there and some sketch artists and stuff and the camera people and you know, people are smoking joints and stuff. And, and he just looked at me and he said, you know, you can't, this is your family. Like this is it. You belong with the freaks. And it was, yeah. It was such a moment where it's like, yeah, I mean, I've been a freak my whole life. I've been hanging out on stage with comics, smoking weed my entire fucking life. And, yeah. and even though I don't know how to quite, you know, I've always had a push me, pull me relationship with quote unquote, the industry and an endless unfolding of my own ability to speak my truth and, and, and all of that. There is a, there is a freaky family in all of this. And yeah. what your book, I think, really helps is for those of us who are freaky enough to want to be engaged in the business side of this, um, and especially yeah. in mainstream Hollywood in particular, you really give them like, you know, those handrails when you're learning to walk, you know, after <laughs> <laughs> that's yes. what it's like David they're like the handrails like now put your butt in here 
Now put your right foot here. And it's like you know, <laughs> a little different for every person, but it's at least a place to put your hand. And, yeah. you know, because it's, it's a structure and it's, it's a bit of a, it's a bit of a path and a bit of a journey that you give people um, for people who just want to, you know, kind of just be in this, you know, creative flow, which can be extremely ecstatic and extremely amazing, but doesn't help one get things, you know, the, the bills paid <laughs> all the time. Yeah. 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 So um, it's, you know, I, I'm going to just, I'm going to throw you something in the middle of all that. It's um, a lot of people really uh, who either enter into acting or enter into any kind of creative endeavor. Again, there's, there's a part of the kind of, if it matters or not. I mean, like that's the big sort of, is, is what I'm doing mattering? Yeah. And, and they, there's a tendency to kind of look to the wrong places, in my opinion, to ask that question. Of uh, uh, or ask, ask that uh, uh, because it's uh, a, there's a chapter at the end of the book. It's actually the last chapter of the book, um, which is uh, is top, is it all worth it? And it it recounts this experience that I had at Ralph's supermarket on Sunset Boulevard, which is not a place that I would think I would have a spiritual experience, but but, but I did. It, it is it is the rock and roll Ralph. So you're yeah, you're, rock and roll Ralph. <laughs> That's true. It does. It does have, it's got some, there's some energy in there for sure. For sure. But I, uh, I had this experience that I have from time to time. This was a few years ago and I had been on this TV show called Boston legal for a while. And, um, and so I was kind of, it was like my 15 minutes of fame when I was on that show. And so I was used to people sort of coming up to me in, in certain places and saying, Hey, are you that guy? They didn't necessarily know my name, but right. they knew me from the show. Yep. And so I was standing there in the frozen food aisle and I, this woman started kind of following me and I thought, okay, here we go. Any second now, this is going to happen. And sure enough, it did. And I, I, one of the things about, you know, I'm not, I'm not famous. I, I was famous for a minute when I was on that show. But when, when you're famous, as I'm sure you know from watching your dad, it's kind of the, one of the hardest parts about it is you have the same conversation over and over over and over, over and over with people who are fans of yours, right? Yeah. And it's hard. It's really difficult after a while to keep going with that. Well, but I get, anyway, I was all I get it every day because every day everyone asks me, "What would your father think of Donald Trump?" So, sure, I, I right. repeat myself basically. But yes, right, <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> and I was getting ready to yet again have somebody ask me, "What's William Shatner really like?" Right. <laughs> And so I thought, okay, here we go. So she finally approached and she said, uh, are you an, you're an actor, aren't you? And I said, yes, I am. And then, uh, she said, I know you, I know you. And I said, okay, did you ever watch Boston legal? And she said, no, I never watched that show. What else have you done? And I've had this experience before, which I call death by resume. <laughs> where you go, where you go, have you ever seen this show? No. Have you ever seen that show? No. Have you ever seen this show? No. And it's this kind of excruciating, you know, process until one of us gives up, you know? And so I ran through a couple of credits and, and on these TV things. And, it's like, and she was saying, no, I hate that show. I've never seen that show. What else have you been on? 
And I felt like I was on, you know, the witness stand or something. So finally, I said, you know, I don't really know. Uh, I've done a lot of stuff. So I don't really know what, what you see me on. And she said, were you in a Midsummer Night's Dream in Buffalo, New York in 1985? Wow. And I was. <laughs> I was. That was one of my earliest jobs. Wow. Um, as a very young actor, I was in that show. And, I, 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 and, and she recounted the whole thing. And there was this very, very funny scene in that play where we, it's like the, 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 the townspeople are putting on a play for the king. Mm-hmm. And I uh, had, as the young boy in that, in that scene, had to play the female lead. And I, and I had this bit that I'd come up with with the costumer where I said, can you make a dress for me that is just too tight? that I cannot sit down in. And she said, oh, that's a really funny idea. So she gave me this thing and I, I would do this whole like bit where I was trying to sit down in this dress and I could not sit down in the dress because it was too tight. And the audience fucking loved it. And I would milk that, oh my God. <laughs> I'd milk that for like 60 seconds at least, maybe longer. They just couldn't get enough of that shtick. And so it was a big, big, like a huge laugh in the show. So... She described that whole thing in incredible detail. Mm. And I said, I cannot believe you remember all of that. And she said, and she, in all earnest, like she, her tone sort of changed. And she said, I have laughed myself to sleep thinking about that for 25 years. Wow. And it was this huge moment because for a couple of reasons, one of them was, my assumption right away when she stepped up to me was that she wanted to talk about something I had done on TV because that's always what feels so important is the TV stuff. Right. And I, like I, I I was very nice. We had a nice little conversation and I walked away from that and I, I was floored by what she had said. And I began to think about my experience as well as, as an audience member and the things that I have remembered my whole life uh, that I saw anyway, and that really were big for me. And, and I, I, ca- I came to this sort of conclusion, which is something I talk about in the book, which is the value of what we do. And if we, the beauty of this, I think, is that if you love it, you, I think you ought to do it. That's it, period. If you love it and it feeds you, then you need to do it. And, and don't worry about at what level you do it. Just make sure you do it because clearly you're drawn to it for a reason. There's something you have to give the world. And the deal is it doesn't really matter if you are on a TV show that's being seen by, you know, 10 million people or 20 million people or whether you're doing it in some little basement somewhere where there are four people in the audience. If you do it well, if you do it with love and you do it with truth, you bring some truth into the room. Somebody in that audience is going to remember it until the day they die. Yeah. And that is what makes it art. Yeah. That's what makes it worth doing yeah. is that you really, it's not just you, your work has impact. It, your work, your, your work stays with people. It, it changes things for people and that's kind of beautiful. And I'm really happy about that. And so in this book, I talk about like both the business side of it. And I also talk about the life that you are signing up for. Yeah. Um, and that's mostly what most of those stories are in the book that open most of the chapters is just my personal experience with kind of bumbling my way through where I started out 
as a very naive, starstruck kid who knew pretty much zero, um, but decided to keep my eyes open. I decided I was going to keep my eyes open and ears open and kind of try to figure out how this life worked. And then it kind of charts me all the way to where I'm at now, where I'm, I have started this whole new chapter and moved to a new city at age 57, um, which was not something I thought I was going to do, Kelly. <laughs> <laughs> I know. Um, and yeah. I know. And I, you know, one of the reasons that I also moved to that new city was I was completely certain that if I stayed in Los Angeles, I would never remarry. Uh-huh. And I did not feel like I was done with that part of my life. Uh, and I didn't, I didn't, whatever, however LA may view you when, once you get past 50, you're pretty invisible once you get past 50 here. Uh, yeah, um, as a but, woman at age 40, you disappear. So yeah. Uh, absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, and I thought, I, 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 I don't want that. I'm not done. I'm just not done yet. And so uh, once again, and, and both in career and in personal life, I just knew it was time to I, I, ha- I had to at least try it. And so I went and it's, it's been kind of remarkable. I, I have been with somebody romantically now for about a year and a half in New York and it's been fantastic. And I certainly would never have met this guy in LA. I just, I mean, I just wouldn't have. <laughs> he, he's, he's very much of that world and he would never have been in LA is what I'm saying. Not that there right. are wonderful yeah. people in LA. There are wonderful yeah. people in LA, but they're all taken. Yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> Um, I, I am really happy about, um, the fact that like kind of being an artist has kind of forced me to stay awake. Yes, yes, yes. Agreed. I think it is the one path that, uh, really invites that, especially being a, you know, a writer or an actor where or something where you are trying to contain and express the human condition. You, you do have to be you have to understand the human condition to express it. So, yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. And the, this, I'm going to offer this out as well, um, both to any of your listeners who are interested in show business or any of the people or any of the women in the program you were talking about, which is the other thing that is important, whatever age you are, uh, and you're, for your, certainly for your professional life and, and probably for your personal life as well, is, is the idea of remaining viable. Mm. And uh, all that really requires is curiosity. Yes. <laughs> it it kind of takes care of itself <clears throat> as long as you remain curious about the world in which we are all currently living. Just curious enough, curious enough to ask a question, curious enough to Google it, curious enough to get in your car and drive down and see it, curious yeah. enough to to ask other people, what do you think about that? You know, even if you don't like everything, you just have to be aware of it. You have to have some kind of personal response to it. And if you do, you're viable. You're employable because you're in it. You're not standing outside of it saying, well, in my day, (laughs) this is your day. This is still your day. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Don't, Don't let the culture fool you into thinking that you're no longer viable because that's right. You know, you're letting the culture define you, and and I think that's, you know, that I think, and I think that's really ultimately what the whole dance is about. Anyway, is yeah, you, know, you have to learn to define yourself. You have to know what you want. Stay curious. Stay open. Take care of yourself, 
and know that there is a game to play out there also and learn yeah. and learn the rules of it and don't be afraid to, you know, participate in it because you'll bring your own joy, your own soul, your own view towards it no matter what. And yeah. Yeah, yeah, and I love that. I love that curiosity piece. I think it's 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 so essential and um it 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 literally will keep you viable in every way because it'll keep your brain alive and your body alive and you'll be participating in the world still, which is Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, what's And there's a there's a lot to participate in, especially now. Yeah. There's a lot. There's a lot that needs our attention and um one of the other great things I think about artists now is, um, and I, with the decline, or maybe decline is not the right word, but anyway, with the lessening um, power of the church and with religion sort of taking, sort of stepping back from society, people are as less, less engaged in that now. Um, artists are almost kind of stepping into the position of being kind of the moral teachers yeah. Um, for the, for the society, and uh, not not just actors, obviously, but actors are are working in conjunction with you know, and musicians, and all. We work with producers and writers and directors and composers. We it's a big family, but when you're the person who's out front, whether the actor or the singer or the whatever, uh, all of that work is sort of you're the you're the you're the eye you're the iris of that. It, it all goes through you to the audience. Yeah. So it's an important position. The audience kind of is going to receive the message via you. You are the messenger. And so it's kind of, a, I think, in a weird way, kind of an exciting time to be an artist in whatever you're doing, because uh, there's a lot that people need to stay aware of right now. Yeah. And I think we're helping them do that. And we're uh, and and also the, the stories that we depict um, or write or uh, create are usually morality tales of some kind yeah. and they have something, you know, they have something to do with how living and what's important and how to, how to handle a loss or how to rebuild the house that burned down or how to understand that love is, is doesn't just come for free. It's earned. And, um, and what, what's worth standing up for and what's worth letting go of. Uh, uh, it's, it's just an interesting time right now. And I'm kind of happy to be alive and be an artist right now. I think it's kind of a cool thing. Mm, I love that. We're going to close on that because that is one of the most hopeful, potential feel filled um, things that I've heard in a long time, David, because so many people are just filled with, with anxiety and despair. And, so I really appreciate that profound reframing of the opportunity we have right now as artists. Yeah. Because we are the storytellers and life is ultimately about what story are you telling yourself and your future is determined by the stories we tell ourselves. And it is time for hum a new myth for humanity to move forward with. And uh, yeah. And we are, we are part of that conversation as artists in helping uh, retell that story. So, so thank you for being such a big heart and such a clear mind. And um, I just love you to bits. And I'm so happy for you. I'm so happy you found uh, And you're living in New York and you've got a successful book and you're continuing on your, with your work. And, um, and, you know, and happy birthday, too. <laughs> oh, thank you. Thanks, Kelly. I adore you. 
And uh, it's been, and by the way, you, I, I, can, I can still sort of see you through the window. The, the light has shifted a little bit, but you just look beautiful in that dressing gown. Why, thank you. It's my peach satin uh, outfit from, uh, I don't remember where I got it from. It was just, you know, so many in my just, closet, I can't keep track of them all. I'm sure, I'm sure some, some fan sent it to you, I'm sure. Oh. Uh, it, it looks beautiful on you. It just looks great. I love you to pieces. Thanks for having me on today. And, and thank you for helping spread the word about the book. I'm actually really excited about it. Um, it's, uh, I think it's, it's pretty honest and it's pretty funny. And, um, and yeah. I, I think I, um, I, I, I think if you, if you want to sort of live in the world that we're currently living in with terms of like freelancing, it's helpful. And if you want to be an artist, it's, I think it's worth having a look at. I agree. I 100% agree. It, you bring everything to it. So good luck with it, my dear. Thank you. All right. We'll talk later. Soon. Very soon. Wake up. Have you noticed the way that our world is? Check your history. We might deserve this. Everything's funny. Step back and observe this If you don't believe it, you don't have to take it If you don't feel it, you don't have to fake it
celebration of human existence. I want to believe we've conquered the beasts, that we're different. Are you in tune with the emotional charge of your flag? Ever feel like a drag? Are you interested in the intentions of your instincts? Are you confident in the state of your mood swings? Are you anxious? Are you lonely? Are you afraid of ISIS? Every single one